You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. In this episode, we talked to Jim Farley from Ford. He's the COO of Ford, and he's the cousin of Chris Farley, I believe. Uh, lots of interesting discussions about Ford and making things for this pandemic and the new Mustang and everything else. First, J.B. Weld. J.B. Weld. Don't use ordinary glue. Ordinary glue is ordinary. J.B. Weld, man. They make epoxy adhesives, and they make everything. If you want to put wood together, plastic, metal, you go with J.B. Weld. They've been trusted for over 50 years. That's jbweld.com, or you can get it at Lowe's, Home Depot, AutoZone, O'Reilly's, Michael's, Amazon, Walmart, everywhere. J.B. Weld. Get it on, got to get it on, no choice, but to get on mandate, get it on, and welcome to CarCast, everybody. All things automotive and uh, a little beyond as well. I'm Adam Carolla. That's Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, over How there. How you doing? What's going on, man? Ah, oh, good. Things are good. Things are actually surprisingly busy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seems are uh, busy. Even uh, stuff from home is busy. Yeah. I've done more uh, Zoom meetings and conversations ever in my life yeah i've been uh i was just over at the new shop uh overseeing a little uh, construction work and uh then um sean's over back at the old shop and he's working on the tail of the uh porsche which is uh coming along nicely and uh oh there we go um oh got handed something that's not to do with this show um and then um you know we're doing we're doing uh, podcasting up though at Wazoo, so uh, so good on us. Uh, what's new in the car world? Well, let's see. They uh, cancellations. Let's see. We covered the cancellations, right? But as far as the race goes, the race is still on, as far as we know. Um, the the quail's gone, and and uh, the concourse is gone, but the uh, the race. I've been getting updates is still optimistically on and some version of it. Now I can tell you that the dudes who race want to race those, those dudes aren't the shutter at home folks. Those are the, those are the comedy guys. The car guys want to, I have like car guy friends and comedy friends and yeah. all the comedy guys are in a fetal position at home right now. <laughs> the car guys want to race. That's, uh, but it's a di- little different mindset. I mean, they're already a self-selecting group. They're people that don't mind putting themselves in harm's way to have a good time. Yeah, the question's going to be, like, there's the the desire for everybody to go out there and do the race, uh, you know, possibly without spectators, maybe just tickets for uh, racers and crew is fine. Um, the question is, how do they make it make sense financially? Are their sponsors involved or not? Um, mm-hmm. Is it, it, can they put on event just based off of registration fees or not? Because uh, the Rolex Historics is, is a pretty big money maker for the track, um, something that the track actually very much needs to survive. Uh, anytime we keep running into this with so many tracks around our country, is that uh, uh, it, 
there's always a bunch of people around or city people or whatever saying, we don't want this stuff. It's too loud and blah, blah, blah. And so there's always a fight to keep a trap open. And I don't think Laguna Seca is any exception to that rule. I think they constantly have to fight with with whomever. I don't know who, city officials or something on, on keeping that track open. Well, certainly anything in California is going to be a well, that's the thing, right? disaster. Uh, yeah. Um, so... Is there a version of putting on the event that makes sense? Obviously, the social responsibility of it, is it safe? Can we do it? And blah, blah, blah. And then will the numbers add up? And will it be a a profitable event? Like, could they say, hey, there's no sponsors and there's not going to be hot dog vendors and there's not going to be any of that. It's just going to be racers and their crew. But we need to charge more money for the admission, you know, for the cars to participate. Would everybody be down with that? I I don't know. Um, I think most of those guys would be in that bracket. I mean, it's already come right up on a thousand bucks a car. I don't know. Maybe it's eight seventy five, or it's it's, or maybe it's seven seventy five. I don't know. It's it's well over five hundred bucks to enter. So it hurt near a thousand bucks per car at 500 cars in there, you know, you're already getting to half a million bucks or somewhere in that neighborhood. Now, um, unfortunately for me, I like the crowd. I like people walking around and saying hi and taking pictures and hanging out and all that, all that, all the father sons that come by and, you know, we're still, you know, we've not, as we record this, we're just uh, not quite made it to May. We're just at the beginning of May as you as you hear this. So we got May, June, July. See, maybe now we're, we're, there's two things. Everyone in California is an unmitigated pussy. I get <laughs> that. I get this is we are not a fucking um, we're not a sturdy breed over here. We're fucking soft and weak and sad. But, so, unfortunately, like, if if this race was going to be at Circuit of America in Texas or something, I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. We could do this. But we are the softest and the fucking weakest in California. That's just what we've been breeding. We've we've been breeding pussies for 40 years here. And we didn't (laughs) used to be this way, but we are super (laughs) soft. And we're super worried about everything. I don't know. I, I can't, I can never really figure out if that's the celebrity part or what, what's going on. I, I know we elect pussies and then we follow them down a, a weird, scared fucking rabbit hole. Okay. But I do still feel like this thing is, you know, is as much as the politicians and the news agencies would like to keep this thing going, it's going away. I mean, Orange County's opening up. A lot of places are opening up. People are just, and once they open up, see, I don't think it's going to be the open up and it's going to open up over four months. I think it's going to open up over 10 days. I think once, I think once people start going to restaurants and when people start going back to the beaches and parks and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's going to happen fast. Yeah. And, um, from a lot of the data I've heard, um, recently not not the stuff so much on cnn but more the stuff youtube is taking off (laughs) their their network a lot of that stuff kind of suggests that a lot of people have already had it were were asymptomatic and 
we might be able to get back moving faster than we thought. Let's see. A final decision on whether or not to hold the reunion will come in late May or early June. Early June. <laughs> early June. So says, uh, so says autoweek.com. See, what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking is that when we get to early June or late May, when we get a month away from today, every piece of news that comes out is more people have been exposed to this and the death rate is much lower. Now, it's bad news to CNN, but that's the news that's coming out. It's, it's, and, it, and maybe it's bad news to our governor and our mayor, but that's the news that's coming out. It's just a much lower mortality rate than they, than they thought. So as we go that direction, hopefully we'll be able to pull this off. Chris says uh, the cars are down from 550 last year to 450. Now, that's an interesting tidbit because that even the consideration of saying 550 cars to 450 is an indication of of they do want to move forward. Yeah, and they're they're starting to come up with things now to make that happen, right? Yeah. So I'm also seeing that the it's that actually has nothing to do with the pandemic. They they're saying now it's actually they just want more authenticity within the vehicles. So that's why they're being a lot more scrutinizing with. Yeah, that sounds a little like choice, bullshit but. to me. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what would be cool, right? I normally have about high forties almost 50 cars in any one of my given run groups, right? Mm -hmm. What if the hundred cars they got rid of were all from run group uh, 4A and all from a run group like 5B and I could bring my 510 and my 935 out there and they're all from my group. (laughs) So I could just run alone. I'm not saying it's going to happen 100%. But I could just run alone. I could get the Rolex Cup. I could get the win. Yeah. I'd be on the pole, obviously. Uh, That would be awesome. I don't know if it's going to shake out that way. But I don't know if it's going to. Hey, here's the good news is is most of the things that uh, that Nate films, it looks like you're running alone anyway because we never see other cars (laughs) on the track. (laughs) There I am. zigzagging down the warm-up lap and then nowhere no other cars on the track at 2000 rpms you guys do know now you got me started but you do know (laughs) that these races are they're 10 lap races sometimes 11 lap races and there's really only one lap it's the beginning lap where you have to warm up and you go slow and you scrub that's the only thing that doesn't need to be cut into the action, but it's also weird when we do those or when Nate does those or the editor does those cuts where it's like, there's so many cars on the track, like at the beginning of the race, there's 50 cars on the track. Why not just show the stuff where you're right in the middle of the 50 cars? I don't, Yeah. the, the editing and action is something I'll never really quite wrap my mind around because it's not, look, you may know nothing about cars, but you have ears and you have eyes. If you can see lots of action and you hear lots of sound, then that's a good thing. But um, the reason 
it, it is always for me, it's, 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 the, it's the most perfect example of when people say, you got all these projects going, leave the guy alone, let him handle it. You don't need to be getting in there. And it's like, first off, nobody wishes that was true more than me. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody. But when you do, then you get warm-up laps in the middle of your race. And that's, and, and screaming generic guitar over your 935 turbos. Yeah. That's, that's how that works. All right. Uh, All right. Let me uh, let me hit this uh, Geico while we uh, we get Jim Farley in here. What do you think? Sure. Um, our friends at Geico. Maybe you own your home or you rent your home. Either way, it can be a lot of work. But you know what's easy? It's bundling your policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. And that's a good thing because you have so much to do around your home already. So just go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. So tell us right. about Jim Farley. Jim Farley is, uh, is the COO of Ford Motor Company, and uh, they've been, they've, they shifted gears quite a bit, which is impressive um, to uh, – to address this uh, COVID-19 thing. They're making uh, tons of ventilators. They're partnered with GE, making 50,000 ventilators over the next 100 days, and uh, they'll be able to produce 30,000 a month um, after that. And uh, 5 million face shields, uh, uh, all kinds of stuff that I'm sure that Jim's going to be able to get into. Uh, And, of course, you know, they're still the car business, by the way. <laughs> right. You know, with with the Mustang being the best selling uh, sports car in, in America right now, or in the world, I believe. Um, and really, and uh, some fantastic stats behind that as well. A uh, hundred and two thousand Mustangs sold in twenty nineteen alone. Wow, that's, that's not, well, it's, uh, look, that's not it's, bad. it's it's a lot of value, and as you know, I now. Um, I now endorse the Mustang. I, yeah. I didn't used to like the Mustang, and now I love the Mustang. Should we put uh, should we put Jim on? Is he yeah. up? Yeah, I don't think he's up. Um, yeah, he just started the video. Maybe they're, maybe they're getting him. This might be his. Uh, oh, okay. So well, I got the Jim Ready uh, signed out. Yeah, here. I thought. I thought. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk about we'll talk about something else. He wasn't supposed to come on for a little while. Did that? Are they connecting? Am I factoring into this? Yeah, uh, I I think uh, we're trying to uh, we're you know busy day and you've got uh, you've got a hard out so we will um, we'll get him on when he's ready. But uh, to follow up on that, basically is is uh, what these guys have been doing is is um, like we said, not just the the amount of ventilators and the face shields and the face masks, uh, working with 3M and stuff as well. It's a uh, it's a, a huge undertaking that uh, that Ford has committed themselves to be able to do, um, including uh, now testing equipment where you're going to be able to uh, uh, improve access to COVID nineteen testing. So a big shift for uh, for for Ford, um, and it's amazing that a company of this size can can pivot that way uh, fairly quickly and then. You know, like like the the face shields and the masks and stuff like that. They've they've worked with their 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 uh, oh even the the gowns. They work with their airbag supplier 
that's using materials from the airbags to make 100,000 gowns for, for uh, hospital workers. It's amazing how you can kind of make that shift on large scale yeah. factories for that for that type of stuff and then go back to you know making cars right yeah i just <laughs> uh i just had a discussion with um a friend of mine a very old friend like a high school football buddy who's worked for uh, budweiser in at the van ice plant across the street from across the freeway from bachman oh yeah from the Bud plant yeah. he's been there for like 30 years and uh, probably more. And he said, oh, they're shifting to making hand sanitizer. Yeah. And I'm like, how's that work? It's like we have the big vats and they bring in the alcohol and then we add the blah, 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 and we do it up, you know. And it's like, yeah, they they, they can make hand sanitizer or, or Bud Light over there. Or actually, honestly, they make both. You know, they didn't, they yeah. didn't shut the whole place down to make hand sanitizer. They just dedicated a section or a couple of vats or whatever, whatever the terminology is to the hand sanitizer. And now they're doing that. We're, they need a know. two in one. Can we drink the beer and pour it on your hands and get a little cleaning? And Trump said you can put a shot of it in your beer and make <laughs> like a boiler maker. <laughs> um, but you know, we're pretty good. Like, and especially like what really slows our role in this country uh, is, the government is slow and bad at doing things, but the government also slows everyone else's role because if this is in a situation that's not wartime, then it's like, oh, you got to get a permit. We got to do testing and we can't have you blah, 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 blah. And that just grinds everything to a halt. But if we're in a kind of wartime mentality, then you can fast track things. And then the Budweiser plant can make hand sanitizer. If you just wanted to make hand sanitizer a year ago and the pandemic wasn't going on, there'd be so many regulations and so much red tape that it wouldn't be worth it for Budweiser to make right. hand sanitizer. Or they could make it in a year after the review and permitting process and, and blah, blah, blah. So it's not only the government is pretty slow and inept in and of themselves, like when they try to run the L.A. County Unified School District, but they fuck everyone else's shit up too. Like if you wanted to open a school. So it's like, they'll fuck up their schools. And if you want to open a charter school, they'll fuck that up too. But if yeah. they go kind of wartime, then they just get out of the way. This isn't the government like fast tracking stuff. This is the government not slow tracking everything. That's, that's, it's them getting out of the way a little bit. And then it's always like, fine. How many people are going to die because they got tainted hand sanitizer from Budweiser? And the answer is none. <laughs> none. So why couldn't we've just done this this way all the time? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing how that stuff works. But of course, and not to go down this this tangent too much, but now already we have uh, we have people like Elizabeth Warren and AOC saying uh, we need to put a halt on all uh, fairly large scale. Uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions, companies of $100 million or more, which, by the way, there's tons of companies way more than $100 million. $100 million is not an incredibly high benchmark in, in the world, now. billions and billions. And they're saying, no, no, no mergers and acquisitions. It's, it's too dangerous. You're right. going to put small businesses. Well, what about all the small businesses that rely on this? Like, they need right. those. You know, I, it's just a crazy thing. Like, why even do it? What's the point? What are we doing here? That's <laughs> uh, just 
Just more. Just let make. Just let Budweiser make hand sanitizer and let Ford make masks. I I agree. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Uh, so we're still waiting for uh, Jim, which is fine. Um, you know, so uh, you driving. I, uh, I'm driving the Lotus Evora GT, and uh, earlier this week on the show with Goldberg, uh, I'll, I'll give that episode a little plug. We spoke with Russell Carr, who's the head of design at Lotus, and it was nice to hear. Uh, he's been at Lotus since 1990, so he's seen all the ups and downs and all the cars that were announced and got canceled and different management, different owners, and, and uh, he's been there the whole time. And it is nice to see them uh, uh, very excited and confident about uh, the funding from their new owners, uh, excuse me, Geely. It's uh, the Chinese company that owns uh, Volvo and Polestar. And uh, if you remember, Adam, at the Quail last year, <laughs> we, <laughs> oh, no. you doing this? we got a peek at the Avisia, which is the... Uh, uh, all-electric hypercar from Lotus. It was in the yeah. middle of the lawn yeah. on a podium, yeah. silver, yeah, very yeah. crazy-looking. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, yeah. yeah, this was at, at Pebble Beach as well, but it was also at the Quail. I think uh, Bachman's Two- got one. He did a un- Bo did an unveiling uh, during uh, Car Kings, his new show. Oh, oh yeah, I yeah, okay. That would make in sense. episode, maybe episode one, maybe episode two. I can't remember. I think it was episode one. He revealed the new Lotus. I'm sure it's the same yes. car. Uh, it, it looks fantastic. What the designers were able to do without a gas engine, you can make this thing swoopy and have air flow through it instead of big, crazy wings, but they want it to be the most powerful all electric hypercar. It's going to have 2000 horsepower, a motor on each wheel with 500 horsepower. Uh, and uh, just a huge halo car for Lotus. And uh, anyway, we get into that a little bit more. Uh, oh, you tell me, I'll, I'll play my mom, Chris Carolla. <laughs> you tell me, how much does the car cost? Yeah, uh, the price hasn't been available yet, but it's going uh, to be very pricey. I don't know. If I had to guess, a million bucks. No, a million? <laughs> who, who, does anyone need a car that costs a million dollars? Well, Is, I don't think it's about need. They're all pre-sold. They're done. They're already you know, done. Do you know how much a school teacher? You know how much a special needs school teacher gets paid in Glendale? <laughs> no, it didn't come up in my conversation. Forty nine thousand six hundred twenty seven dollars a year. Hmm. Do, do yeah. You know how many teachers you could employ? for just one of those cars. Yeah, do we do we need the do we how, need the extra How powerful is the car? It's, it's a 2000 2, horsepower. 2000, yeah. Does anybody Do you know what the average horsepower is for the Glendale <laughs> special needs teachers are? Do you? Do you know the average horsepower? I, I do. I do. It's it's 126. <laughs> they drive a bone stock uh I think it's a Ford Festiva. Yeah. So, do you know how many of those teachers' horsepower you could make from just one of those Lotus cars? Wow. Does anyone need 2,000 horsepower? Yes. It's a million dollars. <laughs> do you know how many children you could feed with that same million dollars? So, just give them, give them the... The food, give them the money. What's the what's the plan here? <laughs> you should give me the money 
<laughs> okay. I can give it to those kids. To the to the children, to the hungry yeah, children. Yeah, you give it. Does anybody, uh, you know, I, t- I was watching basketball the other night. Just sure you are. <laughs> men just stand there and they just throw them the ball and they just drop it in the hoop. Yeah. They're so tall. Yeah. What's this? You know how much they get paid? Uh, probably a lot, but what else are they going to do? They're so tall. They could put the uh, stars on top of Christmas trees. Yeah, once a year, though. I mean, it's kind of a part-time gig, right? You know the average <laughs> NBA player, average salary is $4.7 million a year. Do you hmm. know what the average garbage man gets, play, gets paid in the Eagle Rock area? I, I, I don't know. Let me check my list. <laughs> $44,628 a year. So wait, do they get paid more than the teachers? They get paid. No, the teachers. And now this is the Glendale teacher. Let me check oh. my, I got a laminate in front of me. Let me I, I think the garbage men get paid more than that. It's a poor person laminate I checked that I like to throw out. <laughs> it's like a cheat sheet card. Yeah, except <laughs> I don't use cops because we don't like that. But I use all other people who help us in society. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 2,000 well, horsepower. 2,000 horsepower. So it's You'll a, be nice to know it's clean. It's all clean power. Yeah, but okay. But, but what about all the woodland creatures you're going to run over going at that speed? Well, Do you think that's fair to squirrels? <laughs> Uh, I, I I think they'll be okay. I don't think you have to hit the squirrels. The amount of technology today, it's tough to hit a squirrel. But it, it, that, I just feel, I tell you, I feel, can I tell you how I feel? This that would be fantastic. Yes, please I tell just, me. I just feel, I, I feel like who needs a million dollars? I have a, my, my VW square back in 1974 cost $422. Yeah, I love that you call it the VW Squareback, you Mom, know Mama many, Corolla. You know how many VW Squarebacks you can buy for $1 million? It's just, do you know? All, all of them? I'm going to guess all of them. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could probably buy all of them. I'll just go with all of them. That was chatting cars with Mama Corolla. Yeah. Well, all right. Well done. Who knows less about cars than my mom? Could is does your mom oh, know anything she, about cars? She, she nailed the VW Squareback. No, That's for did. sure, Mama. My mom, Mama DeAndrea, had a '67 Camaro. Ooh. Uh, when she was, uh, I don't know, high school, just after high school, mm. and uh, yeah, she kind of liked she kind of liked that car a lot, and. Uh, and she can drive stick. Mm. Hasn't done it in a long while, but she takes pride in the fact that... that yeah, my mom could drive she, stick. Everyone in my family could drive stick because they didn't make VW Bugs in like 1962 that mm-hmm. were automatic. Like mm-hmm. VW... I mean, it could be a $4 option for the automatic transmission. There's no way Papa Corolla was going to... I he, will... I would venture to guess that all we drove is vw bugs because they were the shittiest smelliest slowest sloppiest <laughs> cars but everything was the cheapest and the maintenance was super cheap obviously and um chris can look it up but i will bet you that vw did not come out with an automatic uh 
until the later 70s. I don't know when they came out with an automatic for the bug. They had a shift tiptronic thing. They had this mm-hmm. weird thing that my buddy Zeb in high school, he worked at, worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken for like three years, and he saved up enough, and he bought a VW Bug, and it had the weird automatic. It was like clutchless, three-speed, what, what would be – Kind of look. It, it kind of seemed like the sequential that was in my C7R Corvette, but not quite as racy. Um, <laughs> a little less performance oriented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was. Um, oh wait, is Jim right? Look that up, Chris. That I, I don't know when the first automatic showed up in a VW product, but oh. I would bet you it was probably a Rabbit, and it was probably in the mid to later 70s that would okay be yeah because in 68 they had a sort of automatic transmission it was a stick shift semi-automatic option in their uh beetle semi-automatic yeah <laughs> right they, uh in their testing they dubbed or in uh car and driver they dubbed it automatic stick shift or ass ass in their uh, 1968 review because it wasn't much slower than the regular that car must have gone to that car must have been 0-60 to in 17.9 yeah Yeah. right? yeah I'll I'll, I'll take some I'll do some research but but the first automatic VW product I'm gonna guess was a rabbit from like 1976 that's me All right, is Jim ready? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm uh, admitting him in right now. He should be uh, activating in just a second. All right, we'll talk to Jim Farley from uh, Ford. Uh, I I don't his bio is kind of broken up on my page. We had a little printer mishap, so uh, you can keep and keep track of uh, the titles and the bios if you would, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jim Farley is the COO of Ford, and. and uh, had a big long uh, a career there as well, running uh, Europe uh, operations and stuff as well. But uh, uh, let's see if we've got. Uh, do we have audio and video, or no? We here we go. Oh, there yep. we go. Uh, let's make sure he's not muted. He's not. Jim, you there? Yeah. Hey, Adam. Hey. How you doing? Uh, Good. Say hi to Matt. Hello. Thanks for for joining us. No problem, you guys. Hey, Matt. And um, actually, I met Adam before. My cousin was Chris Farley, so you probably know my cousins, John and Kevin. I do. um, I interviewed. I met your. I met Chris. I think I interviewed him on Loveline, the TV show on (laughs) a million years ago when he made a movie called. Beverly Hills Ninja. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Baby. And one of the best, one of the better parts of, of his, of his art. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, who else were we talking about? Kevin, Kevin and Johnny Farley. Yeah. His brothers. Yeah. I think I worked on a movie with Kevin as okay. well. Um, that I can't even think of anymore. It's so weird. If you stick around long enough, it, your life, becomes like some sort of bizarre acid trip where you just sort of look back and go, what was I doing with Chris Farley? When on MTV? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
cool. And now uh, he, uh, those guys have and had uh, pretty cool, pretty cool careers and pretty cool occupations. And I'd say you do as well. We were just uh, heaping praise on Ford for you guys going into kind of war t- wartime mode and mm-hmm. switch switching up to making um, hazmat suits for lack of a better term and masks and, and, and ventilators like and masks ventilators. And, and yeah how and, how does that process work so there's a lot of companies that make complicated things like boeing they just make a few of them and there are a lot of companies that make a lot of things but ford now knows how to make complicated things uh really fast and high volume so um what, what actually happened is in May, in, in March, uh, we started to learn what was happening in, in China as they started to restart. And it became really clear when we talked to our local hospitals in Michigan that they had run out of face shields. They had plenty of masks, but they, they, they especially the, first, the people in the uh, ICUs mm-hmm. uh, didn't have masks. So... Um, Bill Ford and Jim Hackett said to us, hey, you guys, can we start to build masks for our local hospitals? So we got our industrial engineers in there and literally in an afternoon basically said, yeah, I think we can. And uh, we started on the journey about a month and a half ago. And we're up to we're making about a million masks a day now. Um, and uh, ventilators were the same. We have the PAPRs, which for the people in the ICU are completely covered uh, with a separate um, oxygen source. Uh, uh, we're making those now. We're making gowns out of our airbag materials. Yeah, um, we were talking about that. But can you physically walk us through, like, let's just say the mask. Uh-huh. Are you, is this a supplier are you on ford property are you going oh, down yeah. to no, so where you make what did you yeah, formally so what, make in that area yeah so what we did on the on the shields was the first thing we did we went to rossonville which is one of our uh, facilities that's not fully occupied obviously our entire industrial system other than china is down even in world war ii we have never brought the whole industrial system down that's over 100 assembly plants around the globe. So we have these huge facilities that are completely unoccupied. So we went to one of them. Uh, we cornered off an area. Uh, we work with our suppliers to get the plastic uh, actual flat sh- sheets built, right. all the foam. Uh, we then asked for our UAW workers to volunteer to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are now working seven days a week from four in the morning to four in the afternoon. Uh, we have, I think, more than 4,000 now across the United States uh, doing all sorts of material. And within, I think, about a week, we started producing these shields because uh, we know how to do it in our own facility with our own people, with our own suppliers. How did the regula- regulatory stuff work? Was there a way yeah, to fast track that? good question because we had to get FDA approval, which actually went pretty quick. The problem was one simple thing. No one had ever organized where to send it. Mm-hmm. So we started to ramp up like crazy, but there was no place to go in the government to know where to send all these shields. Mm-hmm. So um, it was chaos at the beginning. Uh, what we did, we went to FEMA and they're like, I don't, you know, we're not, we're not organized. We don't know yet where to send them all. So we just went to where our employees are and we, we call the local hospitals. How many shields do you want? Okay here's 5,000, here's 10,000. 
We shipped them all over the country on our own dime. All this is on our own dime. We haven't really expected to be repaid at all. So you um, guys had to do the distribution on your own. Yes, Basically, the government yeah. said, great, we appreciate the favor. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> well, we did, it, we did it before they said great. Yeah. Um, actually, no one thanked us except for we started to get all these calls and, and, and emails and texts and posts from the frontline medical workers who just, you know, were reusing their, their masks, reusing their shields. And they got these big boxes from Ford that were filled with shields. So they started taking pictures, sending them to us. Um, that's who said thanks to us first was the first, you know, look, uh, Ford's 50% of the commercial truck business in the U.S. We have uh, 80% of the cop cars, uh, all of the government fleets. Um, and so for us, the ambulance business, you know, we're the dominant player. So these are our people. You know, these mm -hmm. are people who depend on Ford vehicles to do their job. Jim, can we uh, shift gears, pardon the pun, and thank you, by the way, for Ford and what you guys have been doing, um, and shift gears and talk uh, Mustang and, and beyond, because uh, I am really impressed with the, the new Mustang. I think mm -hmm. I drove, I think uh, about a year, was it two years ago, Matt, you came out to my place, you brought the uh, Bullet. Yeah, we had the bullet. And I've been a huge Mustang fan for a long time, as you can see by the I can see body it. I sketch. Like the 5.0 in the background. And uh, it, it, it took like me... 80s, maybe. Yeah, that's a 93 Cobra that's, okay. uh, that's going to be okay. built. And it took me a little while to get Adam on board with, uh, mm -hmm. with, with, with the Mustang strategy. But, uh, the, but I think you're seeing, Adam, uh, that uh, what you're falling in love with is one... The Coyote engine, the dual overhead cam, the four valve engine—you're a fan of. Yeah. And now the amount of technology and the in the performance of these cars are fantastic, right? You're right. It was about two yeah. years ago the bullet came in, and since then we've had GT350 and GT500. Yeah, I took that Mustang for a spin. A, the the styling is very strong now. It looked great in that that green. Also, the interior is very strong and has a kind of European flavor to it now. And then when we took off and I downshifted, it blipped the throttle for me. <laughs> yeah. And yep. anything that blips the throttle for me, I fall in love with immediately. Because <laughs> it's a Very skill good. I should be working on, but instead I would rather rely on technology. Just have so, the car do it for you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think Mustang in the, certainly in the bang for your buck department, you have to, really put in the mix of the conversation and maybe right at the top. I don't know performance versus price who can touch Mustang at this point, but Jim, get, give us your thoughts. Well, we made a big decision about 10 years ago to globalize Mustang. Um, look, I came to the company after 20 years at Toyota because of Mustang. I'm a Mustang guy, had one when I worked in Torrance and, at Toyota and, um, you know, I was my first car. I drove it across the country when I was 14 without a license. Wow. And um, so Mustang, I'm a Mustang guy through and through. And uh, when we decided to globalize the Mustang, uh, we had a huge debate in the company. I, that's a nice word for it, um, to try to get a design that would be, you know, popular around the world. You know, there were many months when I was running Europe that, that uh, Mustang outsold 911 in Germany. 
Wow. And, uh, and Sweden is our se- second biggest uh, country in, in Europe for Mustang. A lot of Mustang fans in Sweden for some reason. And um, what, what it did is it got that beautiful roof line. Uh, we had to pull the roof line down to get the arrow, but also it really made the car a lot more modern looking. But we still kept what we call the fist uh, of the front, that real muscle car formality. But we started to change the interior to be a lot more upscale because we were going to sell it for very expensive uh, prices in Australia and in, in Germany and in the UK. And we also did these feature cars like GT500 and 350 that were really expensive. Um, and then and then the new five-liter engine came out, which was a really big breakthrough for us. Uh, and, and I think the, the Mustang is kind of harping back to, to the mid-'80s when it really surprised a lot of people. Um, back in, in those days, you know, it was a real different formula. Um, we had a lot of competition from Camaro. Then we don't have much anymore. Um, but it's a great product. It handles great. And what's cool about it is it works for someone who wants a, a, a four-cylinder a lightweight car uh, with a manual. It works for a V6 convertible customer who's renting it in Florida or to drive up the coast of California. And it works for us guys in a GT500 or a 350. It's, it's kind of um, it's kind of turned into, well, it's more diverse than a Harley, but it, it's, it's just about the way you want to make it. And it's, it works for a lot of different kinds of customers. We have a huge following, uh, female following with Mustang now. Hmm. Well, it's interesting as you're talking about Camaro, I was thinking about a lot of companies kind of got caught up in this retro world, you know, where they're going to go back and take a bunch of styling cues from the past. I was, I was doing a car show once and I was like, everyone stop looking in the rear view mirror, like pardon the pun with the Mustang, but eventually we'll just ride a fucking horse. If you want to just mm-hmm. keep going back that far, like let's, let's evolve. Let's keep moving forward. And I think that Camaro got bit by that sort of retro bug a little. I feel like they went back, they tried to kind of, and, and I, I think that Chrysler's kind of had issues with that as well. Like they went back and did a sort of retro thing and it just, they should have kept evolving or picked it up where they left off and moved forward. And I feel like if you look at Mustang, I'm just kind of picturing that green bullet in my mind's eye. That's it. That's an evolution of Mustang. That's not a, th- you know, throwback Mustang. Well, this is, this is a really important point because we've never left the market with Mustang. Right. And, and I others know Camaro have. went away for a while. And when, right, and when you go away from it, there's a lot of tendency to bring up that romantic version of the car as you get in the design studio. But see, we never, we never, we never had that kind of pressure. It's the kind of reality that we're, we've been discussing for the last several years on Bronco. Because you've got to get it right. But i got to yeah. tell you, Bill Ford is the biggest Mustang f- a fanatic I know. And he would never let us live on the past. Now, does that mean that we can't make, you know, a, a bullet a bullet? For sure. Can we make a GT350? For sure. But would it mean, you know, we don't go to a, a, an eight-speed sequential gearbox and a GT500? No, because that's a better gearbox uh, for, for 800 horsepower, 720 horsepower. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's something all car companies struggle with, Adam. 
Mm-hmm. And um, it's so easy to tick that box because it feels good because there's a lot of people in the company who are saying, oh, that feels great. Right. But you know, you're not moving the company forward. Well, it's also kind of interesting that, you know, old and uh, nostalgia and all that stuff, it's, it's all good. New nostalgia is weird. Like when I see... You ever see, I don't know why, but from the 80s or 90s, remember they started repopping those old 50s jukeboxes, had like mm-hmm. the fake neon and the plastic, and they played uh, CDs instead of, and it was always bumped me. I was like, I'd rather either have the vintage old one or a new modern one. This old new is weird, but let's talk about Bronco. So, Adam, do you like yes, the sorry. PT Cruiser? What would you think about that? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I like... How to go there. I have a PT Cruiser, but it's a Woody. So, it's a performance. Nice. It's oh, yeah. Oriented. It's a, and, Matt, right. I didn't tell you, but I stuck on some fake plastic chrome side vents right on the How can you not? front fender. So, it, let, it looks like it's breathing a little bit. Yeah. Do you park it next to your HHR, that weird convertible? Nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they had the pickup truck. What was that yeah. called? Yeah, the, the HHR. HHR. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a convertible man. pickup truck. You couldn't put anything in. I just but it was got, retro. I can't I, talk about the competition. I just removed <laughs> the front bumpers from my Prowler. So it's got oh. a cleaner look. And I got the trailer for me, when me and my honey buddy go camping in my Prowler. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> all right. But yeah, yeah let's talk. Let's I, and I'm picturing all that. And I'm like, oh, boys, history is not going to be kind to a mm-hmm. lot of those cars. Um, let's talk about the Bronco, because the Bronco is is interesting in that, first off, the the first gen, I guess, first gen body style Broncos are f- getting a fortune on bring a yeah. trailer and auctions and everything else. I mean, I yep. don't know. They're, they seem like they're routinely 50 or 60, 70 grand right now. And also the Bronco did stop, which sort of like the Camaro, you, you could, you yep. didn't have the luxury of evolving it all the way through like the Mustang. So what do you yep. do with the Bronco? Now, it's a good question. You know, uh, Wrangler is such a, a great product. You know, it's it's in many ways, you know, reminds me of those iconic products like Mustang in our industry. Thank goodness. Um, but, you know, I, I think for us, we, we really learned something with Raptor. Um, Raptor was a big, um, you know, lesson for the company. Uh, we did the we did the Raptor in 08, 09, the most difficult of times. We took a couple of engineers uh, down to Baja, um, and we produced a prototype, very uh, low-cost prototype version of F-150, get a trophy truck, kind of a, a affordable trophy truck. And we were surprised that people loved the compliant suspension, the really soft uh, suspension, but also the look. And um, that started to get us thinking, you know, boy, if we could do credible off-road like a Raptor, could we go even deeper? And um, it led us ultimately to the decision of redoing Bronco. And really the big facilitator was to bring back the Ranger. We had this global Ranger that was very successful in Thailand and Europe. We make it in South Africa and Thailand. And we, we had the old Ranger in the U.S., um, but we had never brought this bigger Ranger to the U.S. When we decided to do that about 10 years ago, um, it really opened the door for having a platform for Rangers. So we had the idea from Raptor that there was this place where Ford could compete in the off-road market, not like a Wrangler, something different. 
And then we had the platform on the industrial side that we can make a great Bronco. And then we decided to do it to get the design right. Uh, so, but our idea with Bronco is really more kind of sand, a higher speed, uh, more casual. It's not a Rubicon type of uh, mm -hmm. off-road uh, product. It's more like Glamis or uh, for you guys on the West Coast or you know, so something more uh, like Raptor. And um, getting the design right was very difficult. We Dude, went back and forth. Sorry, uh, I'm, sorry for jumping in, but you just reminded yeah. me, like, do you guys consult with guys like Jonathan Ward or look at their product and kind of go, well, let's see, sure. we got a, made a couple of nips and tucks on the old one that came out pretty good. Maybe we should see about incorporating some of that stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, early on when we were considering the Bronco, looking at the Icon products that Jonathan had done, and I knew him from Toyota because, um, you know, I was responsible for product planning when we brought the FJ back, and that was, a, you know, a lesson, uh, let's put it that way. And um, he was he was doing those authentic FJs too before before Bronco, right. you know, and, and I think Bill Ford started noticing uh, too personally that this whole super upscale but very kind of almost naked approach, uh, like a Ducati, very basic approach off-road Bronco. And then the Bollinger came out, which mm -hmm. was this electric version, a very basic off-road. Um, but and, very uh, square and very utilitarian kind of Exactly, weird. exactly. So that got us all really excited to say, look, but let's make sure that we're not holding people back. So when it comes to like all the roofs got to be detachable, you know, you have to have all the accessories. Um, we want to make the Bronco like pretty much easy to customize for every customer. I was responsible for Scion at Toyota. It was the head of the company when we launched it. And the Bronco approach is very much the same. Like we want to give everyone the ability to make their Bronco what they want it to be. The base design is very functional. Uh, and it's very customizable. Even if you don't buy a lot of accessories, you can take the roof off. Everything is really accessible. Now, we haven't shown the design to anyone. I'm probably telling you stuff that I shouldn't tell you, but um, it's, it's a very, I would say, very functional off-road vehicle to enjoy the outdoors. When, uh, when might we see it, or when is it slated to roll out? Well, uh, Saeed's, um, Saeed's texting me, the PR guy, saying, don't say anything more about Bronco now. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yeah, but I'm already blown it. No, uh, it comes out uh, next year, uh, in early part of next year. We have, um, and we, we expect to show it in, in the flesh here in, in the coming months. Um, uh, before no, we, before next year, we so. were supposed to see it already, but obviously things got delayed. Yeah. COVID nineteen, but but the the information that's out there that we're aware of is we have a let's say a full size Bronco, possibly two door and four door, and then we have the Bronco Sport, which is the smaller, little more crossover ish version of the Bronco. So when you launch Bronco. We're talking about several variations of, of the vehicle. You betcha. This isn't just, hey, we've got a new Mustang. This is, you know, whatever the 10 variations or nine variations. Yeah, of that's right. When we thought about bringing back Bronco, we want to make a sub-brand. Uh, just like Mustang. We have the Mustang Mach-E and the Mustang, and some people like that, some people don't. But 
Um, and we're going to have a, a lineup of, of Broncos. Uh, let's just put it that way. Um, it'll evolve over time. One of the things that we were really, you know, surprised to find out is that Ford was second, uh, second choice manufacturer for almost every Jeep. And mm. we, and Jeep has like seven products in the U S now, and we don't have one Bronco. So we're thinking, Hmm, if that many people are shopping explorers, uh, compared to a grand Cherokee, you know, let's, let's, let's do multiple products. Yeah. But they have is, to live up to the Bronco name. Is, is Ford have a bigger presence in the European market than uh, the other American car manufacturers? I'm, I'm guessing the answer is yes. Yeah, we uh, last year reproduced uh, almost a million and a half vehicles in Europe. Um, we have many products that are exclusive to Europe, uh, like the Puma, which mm -hmm. is a Fiesta-based off-roader. We have lots of fun products like the RS line that we've, you know, that we've used in rally racing. Um, yeah. So yeah, we have a very uh, we have a one-ton Transit. We don't sell here. Uh, we're in UK. We're you know the number one brand, we're the number one commercial brand in Europe. So yeah, yeah the, we're very successful reason, in Europe. It's funny because the reason I bring it up, I always kind of talk to Matt about this. I remember when I you know when I was working construction and it was like the '80s and some guys drove Fords and some guys drove Chevys and and other uh, American products and and. I would look in their trucks and I was like, I like the Ford interiors better, quite a bit better because it feels European to yeah. me. And I never really got the part where they were selling tons of cars in Europe. And that's probably why they had a little more of a European flavor. Like when you, I like the vintage world. When you see, see some of those full dress racing capris from the mid seventies sure. or early seventies, sure. they look like bitch in European race cars. Uh, to me, and I, I guess they are. But the po the point is, is some of that must have bled into America and the interiors of those cars because they just look better and more European than their competitors. It's such a uh, for the latest you updates know, and uh, call-in times. Follow the show on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram uh, at Carcast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarcastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. And to your point, the movement of people, designers from Europe to the U.S. and back, has always benefited us. As has the racing. I'll give you an example. Chris who wound up being kind of the father turn into the Roush, all the racing yeah. Trans Am cars. He came from Europe from those turbocharged uh, Capris that were putting out 600 to 1,000 horsepower out of a four-cylinder, you know, very small engine. He yeah. brought that to the U.S. in the, mid, in the seven, late 70s and early 80s. And um, we had lots of IMSA cars uh, with those turbocharged four-cylinders. That got us excited about going back into uh, Trans Am, which – wound up being, you know, V8s with, with, uh, Roush. Yeah. That whole spark came from Europe. Yeah. Well, it, it's weird because I could 
feel a European influence as I was climbing into these guys' F-250s and we're going <laughs> off to hang sheetrock somewhere. And I was like, I, I was, you know, 23, but I was going, why do I like these interiors better? And I did like everything. I liked all the styling and especially interiors out of Europe. And that's what it was. Hey, Jim, um, we're up against it here, but I'd like to have you back and talk all about the uh, Mustang electric line and just yeah, sure. in general, if we could do that, because sure. uh, that was a big decision for us. Love to touch on that. Um, Ford.com is where you go for anything that you may be interested in from a, from a Ford centric standpoint. And thank you guys uh, from the nation for uh, what you're doing for this country. Thank you so much. Ford always is its best in a crisis and uh, our employees, uh, they have no problem volunteering their time and getting up at four in the morning to help our country now. God uh, love you. I wish I had a few of those on my, my end. Jim Farley, everybody. <laughs> All right. Let me hit uh, JB Weld here. Uh, DIY projects. You want to get through some of those? You want to save some money? You want to avoid paying uh, the repairman? Oh, you don't even want the repairman in your house these days, right? Bigger, oh, small yeah. repairs, home or garage, ordinary household glue. Well, it's ordinary, everyone. It's got the word ordinary right in it. You need strong. You need better. You need uh, epoxy adhesives. You need JB Weld. Um, I was talking to these guys yesterday, and uh, they're like, "What? you need anything? And I'm like, I, I wish I did, but I am so flush with JB Weld. I was just using some. I was using the two-part epoxy and the syringe, the mix, and I was mixing together, and I was... Fixing a door panel, uh, you know, clips broke off on a door panel. The door panel mm -hmm. replacement's real expensive, you know, to get a real one. And, and you never really match the color because they've all faded on the older car. So I got it all fixed up. JB Weld, man. Put it in your toolbox. Put it in your kitchen drawer. Metal, wood, plastic, whatever. Don't glue it. JB Weld. It's available at jbweld.com. Home Depot, Lowe's, AutoZone, Advance Auto Parts, O'Reilly, Walmart, Amazon, Michaels, and more. All right. Well, action-packed show. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. You can uh, see all my car racing stuff at uh, chassis.com, and you can uh, see some uh, free stand-up in your downtime. It's up at uh, our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Adam Carolla. And until next time, it's Adam Carolla for the moderator, Matt DeAndrea, saying keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. so much for listening it's uh, as a reminder maybe you own your home or you rent your home either way it can be a lot of work but you know it's easy bundling your policies with geico geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy and that's a good thing too because you have so much to do around your home already so just go to geico.com get a quote and see how much you could save it's geico easy visit geico.com today that's geico.com